Well, I'll tell you, um, one, one of the things that, that as you read your Bible and you, you get kind of an overall uh, understanding of things, you, you see, uh, first of all, this, that, that God had a, a, a setup during the time of what we referred to as the Old Testament, which was the best it could be at the time, but was not the ideal. And uh, the, the blessing that we see in the New Testament is the fulfillment of uh, uh, what, what, what God had set up as a, a temporary system for us to be able to have access to him, for us to be able to have access to, to mercy and to cleansing and forgiveness of our sins. Uh, uh, there, there was something that was temporarily set up during the time of the Old Testament, but something permanently set up through Christ in the New Testament. And we thank God for that. But I want to go ahead and t- take a look at this today, understanding that uh, uh, one of the things that God had instructed Moses, once the children of Israel came out of Egypt, he, he instructed him about building a uh, tabernacle with, with a specific way, very, very specific uh, instructions. He, uh, he told him how to do it. He, he told him what to use to do it. Uh, God detail, uh, with, with great detail described, uh, what needed to be, uh, uh, designed and where it needed to be set in place. And, and so, so you had, uh, 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 the, the tabernacle all set up on the outside, the curtain set up a certain way. And then, then you had, uh, uh, um, a, a holy place. And a, and a veil, and then beyond that veil, you had what's called the most holy place, or you, you might also read it in Scripture as the holiest of all, or you may also read it in Scripture as the holy of holies. And in there, there was further things that God had instructed to be built, to be made a certain way. And uh, you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? That's why I'm glad you came to church today, all right? Because we're going to go ahead and talk to you about one specific thing anymore, that, that in, in this tabernacle between uh, the, uh, the, the holy place and what was called the most holy place or the holy of holies, there, there was a veil. And for our intents and purposes, we're going to go ahead and use our imagination today that between like this monitor right here, and this monitor right over here is the veil. And up here on this upper stage, once you get past the veil, is what would be called the Holy of Holies. Can you use your imagination with me today, all right? And um, Hebrews 9.1 gives us an interesting insight. Hebrews 9.1 says this, that then indeed even the first covenant, talking about the Old Testament had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. So talking about this tabernacle or the sanctuary that was built, uh, Hebrews shows us this, that, that it called it an earthly one. Hmm. Could it be that if there was an earthly one, that there's a heavenly one? Absolutely, that's the truth, because the Bible is clear that the earthly one was not the original. The earthly one was patterned after the heavenly one. 
that what was built here, how it was built, and what it represented, what was uh, uh, specifically designed by God to represent the way things were in heaven. That there's a greater and more perfect tabernacle than the one here on earth. The Bible makes that real clear. Hebrews 9.11 says this, that Christ came as a high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not of this creation. And into that one, he didn't go with the blood of goats or bulls. He went into that one with his own blood. So what I'm going to talk to you about today is very simply this that we are veiled no more. We are veiled no more because the veil that once separated us from the most holy place and a place that could actually only be accessed by a high priest once a year. And he couldn't go out, go in there without blood. He had to go in there with blood to atone for the sins of the people. But I want us to get a picture today that, that this veil is no longer separating us. And that what we're going to learn today is that God has accessed us. God has given us access to be able to get into a place where once upon a time only one person could go one time a year. And then besides that, he could only access the one that was here on earth that was patterned after the real thing, but it wasn't really the real thing. But the good news that I want to show you today is that you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his death and resurrection, have the opportunity to access not the earthly holy of holies, but the heavenly holy of holies itself. Not, 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 not what was built off of the pattern or built based on the pattern, uh, but, but we're going into the very real thing itself. We're not going into the copy of the original. We're going into the original. Hallelujah. So I want you to hang with me on this today. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 2 reveals something interesting. Right along the same line, talking about Jesus, it says that Jesus is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Hallelujah. Are you glad about that? So, so, so we see this, that, that what it's saying about the one here on earth was that the one here on earth what was built to, to replicate and built to allow man to, to have an image, uh, to, to, to be able to, to, to see a, a, a sample of what it's really like. But this one down here was not the real one. The real one has and always has been and always will be there. God built something here so that we could have a, an idea and a vision of what it's really like there. And I love how God does things intentionally to try to get something into your senses. To, to, to use a natural thing to communicate spiritual truth to you. You know, Hebrews 8 also reveals this. It says that, uh, uh, that, that uh, God told Moses uh, to see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Yeah. 
which means that Moses, when he was on Mount Sinai, got a vision of the real thing. And God instructed him to build something here on earth that was after the pattern of the real thing. Of course, I always laugh when I read that verse, which happens to be uh, uh, Hebrews, uh, is it chapter 8? Yeah, chapter 8 and verse 5, where it says, See that you make all things according to, to the pattern shown you in the holy mountain. Because that, that's a verse I often quote with my wife, and jokingly so, because anytime she wants to experiment with a recipe, <laughs> and that recipe's already going good, and you know, kind of like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I, I kind of mess with it, and I say, see that you make all things according to the pattern showed you in the mountain. <laughs> and then if I add another verse to that, I say, and move not from it to the right or to the left. <laughs> But, but she said, you know, let me experiment. So I did just a little insight into our family today. But, but, but we see this so clearly throughout the Bible, and especially you read the book of Hebrews. Boy, I tell you, I love the book of Hebrews. Because the book of Hebrews so beautifully captures the, it connects the dots for you. It connects the dots for you. It helps you to see the connection between things in the Old Testament that you said, well, what does that mean? What does that have anything to do with? But it shows you the fulfillment of those things in Christ. It, it, it shows you uh, that, that uh, what was here was a copy of the things that's in heaven. And that Christ did not enter the holy place made with hands, the thing which is a copy of the true one. But Christ, when he went into the holy of holies, and when we, when he went behind the veil, he went into heaven itself. He didn't go into the earthly one, he went into the heavenly one, the real one. Revelation eleven nineteen beautifully illustrates the fact that, that, uh, that this is a, a picture, a, a, a true picture of what it's like in heaven. It says, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. The ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. That's talking about the heavenly temple. That's talking about the heavenly ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant that was built here on earth and placed in the holy of holies in an earthly tabernacle was a, was a temporary thing and, and was a picture of what it was really like there. And uh, the, the, there's so many things we could get into, but, but to stay on track with this, let, let, let's go here. Understand this, that when Jesus died, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a significant thing that happened inside of the temple. And something that we need to get and understand, and if you think you got it, you ain't got it yet like you're going to have. What significant thing happened to the veil that sectioned off the Holy of Holies? What, what, what happened? Uh, let, let's take a look at this. This is in Matthew 27 and verse 15 and 51, describing when uh, Jesus was crucified. It said, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And the next verse says this. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. So it's interesting for us to realize this idea of this veil being torn and that we're veiled no more. What happened? That, that the very moment at which this veil was torn corresponded with the very moment that Jesus died. 
Mm-hmm. Things that make you say, hmm. So, follow, follow this with me. You know, of course, there's a movie put out probably 25 years ago now, maybe more. Yeah, back in the 80s now. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And if you've had any interest in uh, biblical archaeology, uh, you, you've had people uh, wondering and uh, speculating about where this Ark of the Covenant might be after, after Jerusalem was destroyed about 70 A.D. Whatever happened to this Ark of the Covenant? But the thing is, the, the reality that we need to realize is that even if you found it, nobody's home. Even if you found it, nobody's home. Because the presence of God is no longer dwelling there. Understand this, that, that a big part of this process and a big part of where we're going today has to do with the priest. Now, Aaron was high priest. He was of the tribe of Levi. And, of course, uh, sons of Levi were priests. As a matter of fact, you might realize that the third book of your Bible is called Leviticus. Otherwise pronounced Leviticus. But it has to do with Levi, and it has to do with the sons of Levi serving as priests, and one of those priests being high priests, that being Aaron. And of course, we understand this, that Jesus serves as a priest. He was called, as we read earlier, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle that the Lord erected and not man. So, so the, this holy of holies in heaven, this tabernacle that's in heaven, the one who is uh, officiating things and the one who's handling things there is Jesus, our high priest. But Jesus is not one who's a son of Levi like these. Jesus is actually part of another priesthood. Because the Levi... The, the, the Levite or the Levitical priesthood, those who were sons of Levi, that priesthood was temporary. Jesus is part of a priesthood that is forever. That's why the Bible says very clearly that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Interesting thing. And, and you might say, Melchizedek, who? But you don't worry about that. We'll go ahead and uh, uh, go, go a little further. And, and uh, understand this, that the, the biggest reason that that's distinguished is that Jesus is not just priest for a little while. Jesus is priest forever. How, how many times the, 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 it's recorded in the Old Testament and then requoted in the New that you are priest forever? Woo! Feel the lightning bolt. You are priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. Let's check out Hebrews 6, verse 19 and 20. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 reads as follows. It says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Come on. Which enters the presence behind the veil. Where the forerunner has entered for us. Even... Jesus, 
having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So this says that this hope that we have is an anchor of the soul. This hope that we have is sure and steadfast. This hope that we have causes us to enter the presence behind the veil. Why can we go there? Because the forerunner's already gone there. You know, it's interesting. Forerunner, when people think biblically, is something that people usually think regarding John the Baptist. They think of the term forerunner in regards to John the Baptist who came to prepare the way for Jesus. Isn't that right? But here, it's not John that gets called the forerunner. It's Jesus himself that gets called the forerunner. Because Jesus, the forerunner, went into this heavenly holy place, went behind the veil. And what was he doing as a forerunner? He went there first, but he was not the only one intended to go. He was preparing the way so that you and I could access that same presence behind the veil. Hallelujah. You know, um, Hebrews 10, 19 and 20, this is huge. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated, and uh, uh, other words used for that word consecrated in other translations uh, is really which he initiated for us, or which he opened up for us. So Jesus has consecrated for us a new and living way, or you might say Jesus has initiated for us a new and living way, or you might say that Jesus has uh, uh, initiated or opened up for us a new and living way through the veil that is his flesh. I got some props with me today, y'all. So we see Jesus, the bread God sent from heaven. And at the moment Jesus died, at the moment that the bread was torn, at the moment his body was torn, At the moment, his flesh was torn. Corresponds with the same moment that that veil right there was torn. And so at that moment, what used to be not accessible became accessible. There was a change that took place. It was God's way of saying the way things used to be done and needed to be done at that time do not need to be done that way anymore. Because now there is a new and living way. So when you think about that veil getting torn, that veil is just a representation of something a whole lot deeper. Because the reason we can get in there now is not because some curtain got torn. It's really because his flesh got torn. Hallelujah. And so access to this place known as the Holy of Holies, the holy place, is granted to us by the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He went there 
Hey, guys, if I need to use a handheld, just flag me down. I'll go ahead and use one. Are we good? All right. Thank you. Jesus went there into this holy place as our forerunner so that we could follow him there also. He is our forerunner. He's the one who initiated what I call the unobstructed access into God's presence. The one who opened the way, the one who went there first. Is it any wonder that he's called the firstborn among many brethren? The firstborn among many brethren. He's the first to go in there, but he's not the last to go in there. He went in there as the forerunner, the one to open up the new and living way, the one to initiate the new and living way. And you and I, as followers of Christ, as believers of Christ, as those who are recipients of the benefits of the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood, have the opportunity to go into that very place that he went into for us. So the priest went into the presence and made a way for us to go there too. We see that. We, we read Hebrews 6.19 talking about the presence behind the veil. And, and, and so behind this veil is where God's presence is. So, so when we pass through this veil, when we pass through the, uh, uh, the, the, the torn veil, when, when we pass through his torn flesh and, and, and his shed blood, putting our faith in his broken body and shed blood, and we enter into this place, what are we entering into? We are entering into the very presence of God. And the access that we have to get there is putting our faith in his broken body and his shed blood. Hebrews 9.24 says this, that, that Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So he entered into a holy place, all right, but not the one made with hands. He entered the holy place in heaven to appear in the presence of God for us. We see that. Well, that's wonderful. Jesus is standing in the presence of God for us. But what does that mean as far as my access is concerned? Well, let's keep on reading. This is Hebrews 4. All over the book of Hebrews. You've got to love that book. Hebrews 4 verse 14 says this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the very fact that Jesus, the high priest, has passed through the heavens, what does that do for you? He actually went there to prepare something for us. By the means of him having passed through the heavens, having himself been our forerunner, being the first one to go beyond the veil into the presence of God, into the real holy place in heaven. That has allowed us the opportunity to come behind him. As he went there first, glory to God. He went there first and we followed behind him. And we are now coming boldly before this throne of grace. Uh, if y'all can hook me up with a 
another handheld, or if you want me to use this one here. Is that good? Thanks. All right. Boats. No more lightning bolts today. All right. Of course, I liked it when it timed with my hand motion, you know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. So here we go. So, so we see that the priest, the high priest Jesus, has gone behind the veil and has given us access to the presence of God. But now, what, what's, what's behind here? What, what is in this holy place that is significant and meaningful to us? What does any of this furnishing and the furniture and the, the items that you find there, what does any of that have to do with us today? Well, we're going to take a little overview of that. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Hebrews 9, let's go there. Hebrews 9, verse 3 to 5. This is going to go ahead and give you a picture of what's behind this veil. Hebrews 9, and we're going to start with verse 3. And it says this, And behind the second veil, the, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all. So behind the second veil, what will you find? You'll find the part of the tabernacle called the holiest of all, or the holy of holies. Verse 4, which had the golden censer, and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which, in that Ark of the Covenant, were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So let's go ahead and examine these things that are in there, all right? And this is an overview. We're not able to take the time to, to get into detail, but I want to go ahead and give us an overview of this today. So what one thing we see here right towards the end, in verse 6, it mentions a mercy seat. Uh, mercy seat, the, the same Greek word that's used here in Hebrews 9, 5 is also used over in Romans 3, and it uses a big word called propitiation. And so, what is this propitiation? What is this meaning of this mercy seat? Well, the, the, the meaning of the word propitiation is really to appease or to, to expiate. And I thought, expiate, what is that? Well, what, what that means is to atone for or pay for. So, this is the, the, the place of appeasing where, where, where somebody can say, I am satisfied that the price is paid, that which needed to be paid to get things uh, back to where they need to be, that which needed to be settled is now settled. It's paid for, it's settled. Uh, another definition of this uh, English word propitiate or propitiation is really to regain the favor of. That's what happens at the mercy seat. So I want you to realize that the priest brings you into the presence by means of propitiation. You can't get into the presence any other way except by propitiation. And how does that happen? That happens by means of the, the, the torn body and the shed blood of Jesus and putting our faith there. Hallelujah. You know, Romans 3 
and it illustrates this beautifully. Romans 3, verse 24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25 says this, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Whom God set forth, Jesus was set forth as a propitiation. Or in other words, he was set forth to appease. Or he was set forth to atone for or pay for our sin. And to allow us to regain our favor with God. Hallelujah. John in his first epistle in several places also talks about Jesus being the propitiation for our sins. And he goes on to say, not ours only, but, but the sins of the whole world. So that, that one item in there called the mercy seat, that has to do with this word propitiation. That's where things get settled, atoned for, and paid for. And is there anybody besides me in this house today who is glad that your sins are paid for? Hallelujah. Now, besides that, you also have the, the, the tablets of the law. But it's interesting what God says about the tablets of the law and what God says about his law and his intention of how he's going to write them and where he's going to write them. Because in the earthly holy of holies, in the Ark of the Covenant, you have the tablets of the law. But you see what God really intends by what he says about this new and everlasting covenant. Second Corinthians 3, 3 says this. He says, clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God and not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. So God's goal all along was not just to have tablets of stone. God's intention was to write his law in your heart. The very essence of the new covenant and what was prophesied about the new covenant and how the new covenant was described. And this is mentioned in Hebrews 10. I may have given you 15 and 16. We'll just look at 16 right now. So this is Hebrews 10, 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. So you see, this is God's way uh, of, of stepping it up, where rather than something that's written in stone, carved in stone, it's God's very law carved into your heart, written on your heart, the power to change. Because if you weren't changed, and you were trying to keep what was written on the tablets, but you were the same old dead sinner inside, you could not do it. You could try and try and struggle and struggle, but you would not have the ability to do it. But God, in his grace and mercy, has stepped it up and taken the law that was once carved into stone and carved that into your heart. Actually put it right in you as part of your DNA. Do you know this, that the Bible says that we are partakers of the divine nature? 
Hallelujah. Whereby God writing that law in our hearts. It's not some outside source that we're always trying to keep up with and always trying to do and always trying to fulfill. No, God set it up where it would be the natural outflow of who we are because now we're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away and, and all things have become new. And rather than trying to do something and trying to be something that we have no ability to be, God wrote his law in our hearts, made us a new person on the inside and so now now rather than trying to be we can just be who we are in christ so in, in in those tablets we see this the power to change we see propitiation that's the way you get there you can't get there any other way except having your sins atoned for and paid for by the blood of the lamb we get there by uh but by propitiation, but what we access once we're in there is we access the power to change. We also access provision because there's manna in there. One of the items found in that Ark of the Covenant was manna, a, a gold pot filled with manna. The, that, that was the, the bread-like substance that God had to fall out of the sky when the Israelites were wandering out in the wilderness for 40 years. God actually rained bread out of the sky. And there was some interesting discourse over in John chapter 6. Some guy said to Jesus, our, our fathers ate man in the desert. And uh, uh, I said, it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, hey, huh, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father gives you the true bread that comes from heaven. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And Jesus went on to identify himself as the bread of life. And we're going to look at a portion of that together. If we can look at verse 48 through 51. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Verse 49. He said, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread, talking about himself, which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Hallelujah. Jesus is saying, you want to talk about manna? You looking at manna. <laughs> I can imagine one of the disciples being cute and saying, Jesus, who the manna? You the manna. All right. Moving right along. All right. But, but you see, this manna speaks of two things. It speaks of provision. There's a spiritual provision because the real bread you need is more than just bread to eat. Give me some bread. Let me break some bread. No, no, no. That, that, that's important, but that is secondary. The first thing you need is, is you need the real bread. You need the kind of bread that you can eat from and live forever. But here's the thing. At the same time, God is also concerned about your sustenance, your natural physical sustenance. And so what a beautiful thing that in one and the same, you can see the picture of God sending you the true bread, the, 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 the bread that you need to live forever, but also the fact that God, in sending manna in the wilderness, he was physically sustaining them. Somebody say, give us this day our daily bread. Come on now. Hallelujah. God cares. He gives you provision in both ways, both in the spirit and in the natural. Now, now, where, where is that? Where can you find that? 
You find that here. Here in this place that you now have access to. You have access to provision there. You have access through propitiation. Your high priest has brought you into the presence of God. And you've got access to provision there. You've got access to the power to change because his law is now written in your hearts. What else do you have access to as you go into this holy place on the other side of the veil? Well, you've got actually position and power. Position and power. Now, now, uh, some people can hear that and say position and power. Well, no good Christian should ever be seeking for a position and power. You know, people can think that way. But I'm not talking about any ungodly ambition or, or the pursuit of you stepping over somebody else or stepping on somebody else to try to get somewhere. No, I'm talking about the position and the power that comes from God himself. Glory to God. Because this is seen in Aaron's rod. And, and it's described as this. One of the three items that was in that Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod that budded. It sprouted. It's a stick. It's not connected to any life. It's a dead stick. And it sprouted. Interesting thing. How did that even originate? Well, God had a time where, where he just had to settle who was called from who wasn't called. You know what I'm saying? And so God said, go ahead and get a rod from each father's house, from each of the tribes. And then write the man's name on the rod. You see this over number 17. And so for the tribe of Levi, Aaron's name was written on there. And then every other tribe, there was that, the head of that tribe, the top position person, their name was written on there. And God said that it will be that the rod of the man whom I will choose will blossom. And truly it did. Now you might say, well, that's kind of a strange thing. What does that have to do with anything? But as the budding or the blossoming of Aaron's rod demonstrated to him and to the rest of Israel that the position uh, 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 verified and confirmed the position that God had called him to. I want you to know that it's also a reminder to you of the, the position that God has called you to as priest in his kingdom. We are priests who have access to the Holy of Holies, not the earthly one, but the heavenly one. And let me tell you this. We are citizens of heaven right now, and we are seated in heaven right now. And we have access to things in heaven, not someday when we get there, right here today. Because you are a priest. You have the position of a priest. Did you know that? Well, let me educate you. First Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Hallelujah. And so on. Bible also says in Revelations 5, 10 very clearly that that, that God has made us kings and priests to our God. So we see that. We, we, we see the position that we have as a priest. Hallelujah. Following the high priest, the forever high priest, Jesus, into this holy place. But one thing you also see about Aaron's rod, 
as you read the book of Exodus, God used Aaron's rod for supernatural deliverance, for miraculous workings. As a matter of fact, when they stood before Pharaoh, at the instruction of God, Aaron put his rod on the ground and it became a serpent. And so the, 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 the magicians of Egypt thought, hey, we can do that too. They put their rods on the ground and their rods became serpents too. But there was one way that God had the last laugh because the serpent that was Aaron's rod went and swallowed up their serpents. God always has the last laugh. Hallelujah. But, but you see, that was one instance and there were several other instances that God used the rod of Aaron to, to do miraculous signs and wonders. So as we have access to this holy place and everything that's in the holy place, I want you to know that right here in 2018, you have access to the miraculous uh, power of God Almighty. You have access to his supernatural power today. As a matter of fact, the Ark of the Covenant is one place referred in Scripture as the Ark of your strength. Hallelujah. Can you feel your strength coming on somebody? Do you know that the Scripture says, Paul actually prayed for the church, that you would be strengthened with all might by your spirit in the inner man. Hallelujah. You've got everything you need because everything you need is in the presence. And for the presence, access is granted to you by the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this. We know that this is also a place of prayer. Hallelujah. We see that pictured by the golden censer. The golden censer was an instrument that was used to, to offer incense. And the Bible reveals to us over in uh, Revelation 5.8 that, that the incense that's offered up, it's called the prayers of the saints. And uh, one of the verses, we'll skip over Exodus 25.22, but I want you to realize that multiple places in the book of Exodus, you see God describing this Ark of the Covenant, this place called the mercy seat, as the place where I will meet you and speak with you. Woo! you got access to that. You've got access to that in the presence of God. Because you're not having to go to a physical location to do that. Your physical location can differ. You can be here. You can be there. You can be in one state or another state. You can be in a house or by, by the seaside, anywhere you can be. But the thing is, is that it's not a physical position. This is a position in heaven that you've been given. An access in heaven that you've been granted. And you can meet with him. And he can meet with you and you can hear from him anytime, any place, because that's not an experience that you're having here on earth. You're here on earth, but that experience is actually taking place there in his presence. Hallelujah. And as we wrap this up, and there's so many things we can get into, but this is a beautiful overview today. What, what is the character of this priest of ours, this priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. What's he like? 
Well, you can know this, that your priest is a promise keeper. You know, this is called the Ark of the Covenant. You're dealing with a promise keeper. You're dealing with somebody who keeps covenant. Hallelujah. The scripture says that he keeps covenant mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him. Bible says Psalm 89, 34, my covenant, I will not break nor alter the thing that's gone forth out of my lips. See, he's a priest forever, which means he ain't going anywhere. He's not going anywhere, and he's a promise keeper. That's something you can know about the character of your high priest. And the last thing I want you to see is this. Your high priest is not only a promise keeper, but he's a proclaimer of blessing. He's a proclaimer of blessing. Do you want to see something real quick as we go? Here we go. Second Samuel 6. Check it out. Second Samuel 6. Glory be to God. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Next verse. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. This man is temporarily housing the ark of the covenant. And what happens? He gets blessed. His household gets blessed. I want you to know that as you have access by the body and the blood of Jesus to get on the other side of where this veil used to be and come on through and access all these things here, one of the things you're accessing is blessing. Blessing in any way you need it, glory to God. As a matter of fact, we heard all this about Jesus being a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, what did Melchizedek do? Can we take a quick look? Genesis 14. Woo! Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, he's coming to Abraham now, and look what he does. He brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And what else did he do? He blessed him. So what did Melchizedek do? He came out with bread and wine, and he blessed Abram. What did Jesus do? He did the same thing. He came to you with bread and wine, his own body, his own blood. And he blessed you. As a matter of fact, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table today. What does the Bible say about the cup? Does anybody want to know? Does anybody want to know? What does the Bible say about this cup that we're celebrating today? This is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. What kind of cup is it? The cup of blessing, which we bless 
Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Can, can you say today, this is a blessing celebration? Because Jesus, priest forever after the order of Melchizedek has come to you. He's come to you with bread and wine. But the bread and wine he come to you with is not something you can have a meal with. The bread and wine that he's come to you with is something you can have an everlasting meal with. He's come to you with his own body and blood. And it is by that body and blood that we have access. Because the priest brings you into the presence by means of propitiation, by means of uh, uh, paying for and atoning for and settling the score of your sins. And he gives you access to the power to change. He gives you access to provision. He gives you access to position and power. And he gives you access to a place of prayer, a place where anywhere on planet earth you can meet with God because it's not really happening here. It's happening there. And the character of this forever priest is seen in the realities of his being a promise keeper and a proclaimer of blessing. Can somebody say praise the Lord today? Hallelujah.